Episode number nine with brand consultants Javon Sharp and Kwesi Jossi. Welcome to the Institute of Black Imagination. I'm your host, Dario Kalmis, an artist, writer, brand consultant, and generally curious fellow. And each week we bring you a conversation from the pool of black genius to inspire, engage, and help you unleash your own imagination. Today's episode is with management consultants and two of the three founders of My Uber Life, Javon Sharp and Kwesi Jassi. Born into immigrant families that instilled education, opportunity, and a love for culture into their children, Jay and Kwesi eventually met at Manhattan College, a private Roman Catholic college in the Bronx. With combined degrees in electrical engineering, physics, math, and business, these two men developed keen senses for dimensionality and the need to impact the cultural spaces around them. Seeing a gap between the creativity of business and the business of creativity, their consultancy, My Uber Life, was formed. Jay and Kwesi created an ecosystem of intellectuals by inadvertently becoming the middleman between cultural intelligence and business intelligence. My Uber Life builds and grows businesses by advising creatives on business and teaching corporations about culture. Integrating business knowledge, spirituality, emotional intelligence, and cultural fluency, their company has collaborated with well-known brands such as Pepsi, Uniqlo, and Diesel. Jay and Kwesi's method always starts with the why, after which they approach with practicality. What's your story? How much does it cost to make these goals a reality? How do we generate revenue around your creative endeavors? During this episode, we discuss the formula for creating impact in the world, the importance of owning your ideas, understanding the value of your individual story, and how to communicate that to consumers. Recorded before quarantine, this informative conversation will cause you to pull out your notebook and get organized about your creative pursuits. It is with great pleasure to introduce Javon Sharp and Kwesi Jossi to the IBI podcast. Boom. So, first of all, thank you guys. I appreciate you guys being out here um, starting the Institute of Black Imagination. Um, welcome to the Bronx. And I'm just going to say, like, we're in the Bronx. So, if you hear a car or a truck go by, like, we out here in <laughs> the boogie down. Um, but first, I just wanted to ask you guys a couple of questions, just like even starting, like, where are you guys from? Okay. Well, um, I guess I start with, I'm Jay Van Sharp. Um, I, I was born in Venezuela. I'm Venezuelan. Um, I came to my family. My, my dad, rest in peace, just passed uh, seven months ago. Realized what was happening there and the climate was changing. And my dad wanted us to, you know, he wanted to create a better way. You know, the typical narrative. You know, us being a background, being African indigenous from, from, from Venezuela was a you know, very unique perspective. And um, my dad said, well, my family's not gonna stay here. This country is changing. So we, we came in the nineties to, to New York. And, um, and my introduction to New York City was through Flatbush, Brooklyn. And it was beautiful because I saw people of color from different places who had similar perspectives, but different perspectives. So that, that 
that basically was began began my New York love affair, you know, coming from Venezuela, coming from Latin America, um, and being integrated instantly into into a, a happening neighborhood in the nineties, Flatbush, Brooklyn. And if anyone knew, knows about Brooklyn, it's another country. Flatbush, Brooklyn is a hundred countries, a hundred islands, you know, everyone with their own nuanced culture, but everyone still identifying with the struggle and, you know, this, this kind of energy was there. And it was my first introduction to culture. And I was like, wow, I like this. I want to be a part of this forever. And, and really quickly, tell me, like, what was happening in Venezuela at that time where your father knew, like, you guys had to get out? Well, you know, well, you know, social, you know, South American socialism, my dad always says that socialism, you know, communism worked, works in certain environments. And it didn't work there because of the, you know, colonialism, the history of Venezuela, um, you know, the Spaniards, the, the British, the French, the Portuguese left and they, they didn't leave that population with a lot of systems or, 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 you know, or, or it was a lot of, uh, uh, misinformation and, you know, there wasn't a lot of organization around systems and how to run an economy. So my dad saw him being born, you know, in a colonial system, he saw institutions, you know, a police force, you know, organization. And once those things start to decay, my dad knew those were signals that, okay, bribery was coming up. Mm-hmm. You know, you had, you had um, lawlessness, you know, you couldn't own property, you couldn't, you know, the stock market was changing. A lot of the things that we take for granted in the States, he saw kind of eroding and it got into a a state of lawlessness and he knew that, okay, well, I don't want my kids to be pirates. I want my kids to be a part of this educational, cultural, commercial class. And of course, the great America was the place that was seen, You you know, everyone thought New York, LA, you know, in Miami Beach, it was the same country, you know, from from pre-internet days, it was like, okay, well, we're going to go where where the land of milk and honey. And we came to New York and we said it was quite quite different. You know, it was, it was not the same. So my dad had feelings about, about the world. Um, You know, he was part of the the Rasta movements. He was part of like this hippie movement, you know, this, you know, pan-Africanism, this pro-black perspective, this indigenous perspective and he saw like those things were on the rise and of course the rebuttal to that was you you know this established kind of white latin kind of european eurocentric kind of mentality um starting to go away but who came in the guise of for being for the people was this kind of socialist kind of uh, another bad thing coming in and he was like you know what if we're going to do bad things, let's just go to America and participate. <laughs> and at least get paid. And let's get paid. <laughs> and that's what my dad was. My dad was a commercially, he was, he was a Rasta, but a commer- but a business Rasta, if yeah, that yeah, makes yeah. sense, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, th- you know, it was nice. It was nice to come to, uh, to New York City. And I'm glad. I mean, that's the best thing I think ever happened to me was coming to New York and coming out of Flatbush. It gave me uh, a love for culture and a love for our people, you know, and you know, the diaspora of our, our people. And also, how can we contribute to that experience? Um, and we can talk about that in a, little, in, a, in a little bit about how we formed our ideas. Yeah. And 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 Kwesi? Um, I I would say you know the first place that that I landed was actually in in the Bronx. I was born here. Um, my parents are both immigrants. My dad is from Ghana in Western Africa. 
And my mother is uh, from St. Anne in Jamaica. And, you know, I would say, you know, one of the biggest things that, uh, that I felt when I was young was that I, I knew I would end up back in New York at some point. And I'll tell you a little bit of how I, how I left it. And then I'll tell you how I came back. But um, at the time I was living in the Bronx and this was like at the height, probably the, the crack and, 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 and just drug epidemic in New York. So there were times when I was maybe like three or four years old where I was, you know, playing in the playground and I was, you know, seeing like, you know, crack vials and needles and all this kind of stuff. And my mom is a very intrepid woman and she is always looking ahead. She's always looking forward. So she saw that and she told my father that, you know, I can't have him grow up in this environment. She just knew intuitively that if I had stayed in New York at that time, that my trajectory would splinter into something very dark. So at that time, this is probably like 1986, let's say. I remember there was one morning where the first and, and last and only time I'd ever been to uh, Disney World. But we were we were getting ready to to go to Disney World. We, were t we took the Amtrak down there, actually. And from New York. From New York. This was 1986. And that, that was a whole other journey, whole other story. But that morning, there was a huge drug bust, uh, drug bust in the complex that we were living at that time. And I remember my mom telling my dad, this was like one of my earliest memories, that after this, we're out. So when we came back from that trip, you know, I, I don't remember all the details of us packing and leaving, but, you know, we, we headed to Jersey, like many people who start out in New York tend to do. Um, Jersey, great school systems. Um, you know, I had a great education. The area that, that we actually chose, much like yourself, and I didn't say this, you know, uh, when you said it earlier, but was predominantly white or Caucasian. There was, there was a lot of Italians and Irish people in that area. And it wasn't until recently that I had a conversation with my mom and she was saying how at the time, a lot of her friends, her Jamaican friends and, and even some of my dad's friends, Ghanaian friends, were all asking them, why, why would you move to this small kind of like rural, predominantly white town with like all trees and completely far away from New York? Why would you move your kid to that kind of environment, that kind of area? And my mom literally just said, point blank, she's like, opportunity, education and opportunity. Like the public school system and the kind of people that he'll be around at that time in her mind, she said, there will be a, a, a positive upswing of influence. So I'd rather do that. And for me and from where I'm from, I don't, I don't qualify an environment with that lens. I'm not looking for uh, 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 the people in this, in this place to be of the same color. So, you know, and she had no discomfort about that. So I, you know, got to that environment again, same kind of, you know, uh, uh, demographics that, that I described before. And one of the interesting things, and I told this to Jay a while back, part of what makes me the way that I am is because I grew up in an environment where I truly was one of one. Even in that town, there might've been kids who were, you know, of color or, came from some other background, but no one was half Jamaican, half Ghanaian kid in an environment where there's just nothing but Italians, Irish kids. Everybody was something of a European, you know, ancestry. And I was just this kid who was half Jamaican, half Ghanaian, 
who came from New York, who still kind of had roots there because I was always going back in the summers and 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 I would live with my cousins cousins for a little while, or I would go to Jamaica and live with my my um, my mom's aunts and 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 some of her family. So I had this this whole perspective of I'm not like anybody here. So I just would observe and just watch all these cultural nuances of America that I didn't know about and that wasn't at my home. So I became. Even though I was born here, I actually became American by hanging around these kids who genuinely were like American, like who were like listening to like Primus and like they were like going to Grateful Dead concerts and they were like smoking weed. And it was like this whole suburban culture that I was just observing and 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 becoming a part of by way of my connections with some of these kids. And and again, I had the the unique opportunity of leaving those environments and then going back literally into the hood and be there for an entire summer in the Bronx on like Boston Road till like two in the morning hanging around with my cousins who some of them were, you know, still dealing. Some of them were just, you know, in the streets doing all kinds of shit. And I got that perspective too. So I was like kind of, I always felt like I was just in in, in a constant state of travel and flux and I got to see a lot. And that perspective always gave me this, this sense that you can be multiple things at the same time. It always gave me a, a sense of dimensionality. So, so I've known you guys for quite some time now, like over a decade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 for sure. And I remember, like I was saying earlier, like I remember I met you guys at that party for like Nigel Barker. <laughs> And all I remember was seeing like these super cool, like handsome dudes in black. And I was just like, who are these guys? And at the time I was shooting street style for Essence. So I was really supposed to be shooting women. But like, I was like, these guys are like so fucking cool. And then, you know, over the years, just seeing you guys at literally every event and party I've ever been to. You That's guys one of my favorite things. The we're crash always parties. there. Yeah. You guys were always Love there. The crash parties. <laughs> but even, you know, even, even friends at the time, like that we had, that were mutual were like, but what do Jay and Quasi do? Yeah. Like yeah. we always see them, mm-hmm. but what the hell do you guys do? So what the hell do you guys do? Well, you know, we're, we're, Classically, we're management consultants, right? That's not cultural speak. That's business school speak. Quasi and I, we met in, in college, and, and he talked about Riverdale. We went to a school called Manhattan College that's not in Manhattan. It's in the Bronx. That's a Catholic school, and it's a pretty well-known uh, LaSalle and Catholic school. My story of going to there, I, I, I got there. Um, so after school, you know, fast forward, past the college stuff, you know, you have to get jobs. That, that's what you do. Immigrants, you know, your family said, so you got to, get a job and, and be something. So I know I went to Quasi, you know, studied business. I studied electrical engineering, physics and math. So we did all that stuff. And then we eventually got our jobs as consultants working in our particular industries. But um, because Quasi and I both, you know, like to be around the culture and be around pretty people and the parties. And we were all grew up on those movies about New York and the loft parties and the fashion shows and the art openings. And of course, you know, my background, my dad and mom were 
as soon as they got to New York, it started integrating quickly with the museums and this kind of, it, we kind of, it just felt right for us to be a part of that world. Um, and sloppily, we would just be a part of that world, you know, kind of trip our way into that world. And through conversations, people were always amazed about how smart we were. And I, I mean, I knew that. And part of it is because we have pigment on our skin. Like, wait, you guys, physics, math, and business, and engineering, like, and we said, yeah, you know, and, and just the economy and the way that things worked out in 2005, six, in that, in that era, we end up just being a part of the business conversations at work. Even though I wanted to be a designer in terms of engineering and design circuits and computers and, you know, crazy wanted to do business and stuff like that, we just had a, 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 a love for money and, and solving problems. And we, we had this eureka moment. It's like, holy shit, all these people downtown are creative, but none of them know the shit that we learned. You know, we didn't, they didn't know about the business world. And some of these questions that people were having, like some like these loops, like, you know, I, I need money. I need this. I know I'm an artist. I'm a dancer. I'm a model. I'm a photographer. I'm a stylist. You know, I'm a makeup artist. We didn't know what these people were. Like these things were not a part of the contemporary culture as they are now in school. We didn't learn about that you could be an artist and make money. We didn't know that you could be a fashion designer and be a lot of our friends are these people now, right? But, and we realized, holy shit, we can, we can help these people because we, we care about this culture. It's fun. It's a lot of fun, actually. A lot of champagne back in those days. Um, but I guess our way in that world wasn't to be models or, you know, stylists. I guess what we'll do is just teach what we learned. So we said, you know what, let's create a consultancy. Let's create a business consultancy that actually teaches creative people about business. That sounds like a no brainer, right? I was like, well, all, all these consulting companies that we know and we work with in our professional day to day, nine to five, they're consulting people about business, but they're not creatives. Why don't we just take that mentality and go downtown and teach all these brands, all these designers, all these DYI people, naively so, let's create a company and basically teach them business. And of course, the name My Uber Life, you know, we were, you know, we're super love to read and stuff like that. You know, you just kind of hustle, trying to learn, learn, learn this white man's world, you know? So you're reading everything. You're reading everything, you're hustling, you meet a millionaire, what are you reading? You know, because we knew these kind of things intuitively. And you no, know, Nietzsche was a part of that conversation. And Nietzsche's Uberman, the Superman concept, was like, well, holy shit, like, let's kind of flip that and let's create a company called Uber Life. And this is before Uber the taxis. You know, this <laughs> yeah, is a time before. Yeah, yeah. So we created a company called My Uber Life. So as it would be like almost a self manifestation, like, I want my life to be super. So let's create a company called My Uber Life. And let's teach business to creative people. And it was that simple. And that's how we started. So what we do in, the, in, in our origin story was teach creative people business. As we found out, to do that really well, we also have to deal with the money and teach the money how to deal with creatives. So we started teaching corporations culture and, and that community. So we started doing two things. One part teaching business people, you know, creative people about business, and the other part teaching uh, business people about creatives. So we had these kind of like this ecosystem between the creative community and the business community. And we were like inadvertently these middlemen. So people will come to us for cultural intelligence 
And then people will come to us for business intelligence. And before you know it, and there was no cliche back then. There was no business of fashion. There was no narrative around that. And particularly people of color, you know, it was hard enough to be creative. It was hard enough to like, you know, create that cliche for just even justify it to your family that, you know, yeah. I'm an artist. What? Okay, so how are you going to pay your bills? And that was the conversation we kept hearing. We kept hearing this this big ball of anxiety was always about money. And I guess in my nature was like, well, let's attack that problem. Let's, let's just have the money conversation with everyone. How, are we, how does this make money? And to do so, you have to learn business, which we had the background between our, our educational backgrounds and our professional lives at that time. Even though we weren't old in a sense, we were still doing it young, but we were right away in New York. And you know, if you're in New York City, that money conversation happens a day out of school. Yeah. Oh, you know, well, probably before then. Probably wow, before wow, then. Wow, you're while you're at school. So it's like, a, it's like one of those, uh, you know, and back then what we used to annoy the shit out of me was like, let's not talk about money. I'm like, well, we have to. This shit costs money. You know, all this Prada and Gucci is not going to be, you know, you're not going to all this Rick Owen stuff. And, you know, and it, it was, that was our, that was the genesis of that. You know what I mean? And I think that that was the journey that started my Uber Life consulting, consulting group. We wanted it to be a family-oriented thing, so we got a team of people who all had their own specialties, legal, finance, branding, marketing, sales, all the little nuances of business, and we packaged it as a, as a, as a consultancy. And, and, well, shit, we're still around, crazy. You know, 13 years later, we're still around. You know. Yeah. So I wanna, I wanna. So, so walk us, walk us through that because I know there's a lot of creatives and artists, you know, who who listen to this. Like, walk us through like that process. Okay. Like, I'm an artist. Mm -hmm. You know, I've gone to school or not gone to school. I'm really into my shit, but I'm broke. What do I do? Well, I mean that that's that is always the question. So you know, the first thing we we start out is we tell artists to write their manifesto out. I don't care about what you do, right? Quasi doesn't care about what you do. Our other partners, Winston and our team, like, okay, I get you shoot, you shoot with a camera. Or I get, I get that you, you know, you do collages. Okay, but tell me why you're doing it. Tell us why you are doing it. So we, we try to get really solid about the why. And we always say, start with the why, you know, like, you know, what Simon Sinek, you know, somewhere in that, was 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 integral in that understood you know codifying what that meant why do you do what you do once you understand why you're doing something then you understand the reality of that and once you start doing that you say okay now do you understand that to create money you have to create value for someone else you know the artistic practice can be very selfish and self-centered but once you start talking about money it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bilateral communication. It's a communication between yourself and another party. And then that's the conversation how it starts because marketing is, is communicating your value to someone else. Marketing is also understanding what someone else values. Right. And then you start doing that. Then you start understanding what cost costs, right? What, 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 how much does it cost to do my practice, my rent, my studio, my equipment, my paint brushes, you start, a lot of people don't understand how much it actually costs to be an artist. So you, once you understand your costs, then you start understanding how much I need to make, 
right? And we have like a rule of thumb. We say you need to make three times the amount of money, three times the amount of money that it actually costs you to do something. And then it forces you to be, you know, critical about what your practice is. I think it actually helps your practice. The constraint of not having money allows you not to be like this superfluous kind of like dreamer in a sense. You start saying, okay, well, I want to shoot a thousand photos, but I can, I can probably only shoot 50. And then those 50s become tight and they become good. So in that process, we start working with people to understand who, why they do what they do, what is it that they want to do, understanding who they want to talk to and who they actually want to consume their product, understanding how much it costs to do that, understanding how to tell a story to, to communicate that. And once you start that process, then you can get into the more of the complications of like owning your idea, intellectual property, trademarks, copyrights, understanding how to do accounting, understanding taxes, understanding, you know, sales, understanding how to collaborate, understanding how to tell a better story, understand how to collaborate with other people. Sometimes it's people you don't even like, but because it is a collaboratory, you know, it's a collaboration to do that. We start organizing. So I think um, one of our rules of thumbs in Quasi, you know, we talk about that is creativity times organization equals impact. A lot of people just want to be creative, but there's no organization. And what we try to do is not come in there and say, you know, kind of what you do, Dario, you know, you, 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 know, you are a creative director. You're one of these people I know who have a great understanding about mediums and how to tell a story through multiple mediums. We come in there and say, okay, how do we organize that from a very basic element? What is this? How much does it cost? And how can we create revenue around this? And that's when the ideas started, start flowing. And in that process, you always see where someone's personality is. You can always see some of their hiccups understanding where their ego is and you start and that's what led to us being more spiritually oriented because there's no person that's in business or an artist or a creative or someone that's an entrepreneur whether you're a creative preneur or an entrepreneur is the same thing people come to us to be creative preneurs they don't come into us to to be a better artist you come here because you really understand that this is your lifestyle and you want to create a a, a you want to thrive in this in, in this practice and it is a reality. And I think money's not a bad thing. I think, I think that's a cliche that got gotten away, especially around people of color, because money's always been an anxiety for our people. And I think we want to uh, 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 take that, that ball of anxiety and make it a pebble, because it's really a pebble a lot of times. Because you know, one of our sayings and, and, uh, is, it's the difference between being broke and being poor. You know, mm. broke is temporary, Poor is a mentality. And if you say you don't want to make money or you hate money, then you'll be poor. You know what I'm saying? So once you understand, I don't want to be broke anymore, you get busy. And sometimes you, everything that we teach people and do for people, they can do for themselves. But you have to also know where your, your, you know, your, your, your idiosyncrasies are or what, you're, what you enjoy. So you bring us on and we help organize your business and whether we're there and holding your hand for eight years, we have clients that we've been working together eight years. Some clients are disclosed, some are not. Or sometimes you come in and we do a workshop and we kind of like, you know, come in the room and, you know, dust some things off and say, hey, there's value around this. Like, yeah, I know that you do these big, you know, lithographs, but why don't you sell a pencil? as well you know watch yourself a book you know like some of these simple things that sometimes it's good from someone they say well dario i think you should sell that 
all those photos the last 15 years. <laughs> oh my God. This is actually really hitting home because I am in this process myself right now where, you know, there's something about being a, a photographer that's like compulsive, right? Because you enjoy it. And so there's this constant collecting. And I want to get back to spirituality because I know that's a huge part of, of the way in which you all think about creativity and business. But like, what are like three top things that you see creatives have hiccups around. Mm -hmm. So I want to, I want to say something that actually relates to that question, but also ties back into the previous question. And it's an additive to, to what Jay was saying. Um, part of, part of what we've discovered in that process of, of, you know, creativity times organization equals impact. Another small like detail has to do with the consistency with which with what you are doing, how often you're doing it, how much output you put into it. The world doesn't really give a shit about like novelty, right? The world yields more so to consistency, the consistency with which you put out what you say you stand for. So once you figured out what that why is or what your mission is, and then you have like your medium that you kind of like locked into, whether it's photography, painting, whatever, now the point that, that you need to focus on is how, how fucking about this shit am I really? Like how, am I, am I only doing this when I think someone is watching me? Am I only about this when I feel mm. like there's cameras on? Or am I literally this by myself in my room in the dark, just at it? Like, am I, am I, am I living this shit in my cells? Am I 24 seven who I say I am at every turn, wherever I go. So if you're like, if part of your identity is is wearing red or part of your identity is wearing blue, mm. are you wearing that shit to like your cousin's wedding? Are you everywhere you go, is your ideology and your ethos representative in that moment and time, in that space? So again, it's not about the novelty of what you're doing. It's not about the the fact that you're you're the first one to do this, you're the first one to throw pink on the on, and black on the the canvas, it's not about that. People usually look at some new shit and they just either they fucking hate it or they love it, but it doesn't matter until it's so consistent and people believe that you believe that shit, like the way that people believe God, that they start to actually care. That's what I truly believe. I don't think people care right out of the gate, especially if you're doing something really, really new and seminal, something that's really polarizing and just like crazy. No one cares about that shit until you believe to the point where it's, it's like breathing air to you. Like you look at everyone else like they're crazy for not knowing what you know about what you do. So I think that, that especially when it comes to artists, that is, that is also part of the the process is one of the most integral part of the process, getting people to believe what they say they believe without a shadow of a doubt to the point where it becomes an extension of themselves wherever they go. Like, this is what I stand for. I don't give a fuck what you say. I don't care about your acknowledgement. I don't care about anything else. This is who I am. When you get to that place emotionally, and this is tying back into the spirituality part of it, when you know for yourself that you're on that vibration, when you have the conversations about money, it makes you a lot more powerful and it allows you to command what you know you deserve at that point. 
It's not about like what they're offering you. It's about you knowing for yourself what you are also offering and the value of it intrinsically. That I think is a big part of our 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 conversations and our and our and our consulting with artists yeah. is really making people not not giving them the confidence because the confidence usually is already there, but just letting them know that it's okay to say that yeah, I, I, my I, this is the shit. And if you don't see it, that's cool. We can part ways. And you know, to 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 add to what Quasi's saying, so you know. Those, the three things that we always tell artists is, you know, consistency is crucial. And that's what Quasi just saying. And number two, can you maintain enthusiasm despite failure? Everyone gets that kind of manic high when you're creative, right? Like, oh my God, this, and it's called a creative plateau. You can see it in every artist in their beginning. They get to this point where it's all new and they're just doing all types of stuff. And then they get to a point where it sucks. And that's what we talked about earlier, the 10,000 hours. That's when you become an artist. Doing that 10,000, those 10,000 hours, you know, that's, it's, a, it's a rule of thumb. It's a heuristic. It's not, it could be 9,888 9, or 15,000. <laughs> but the point is, it's going to suck. <laughs> it's it's going to suck if you work for someone anyway. anyway. Yeah. It's gonna, yeah, yeah, life yeah. has parts of it that suck. Yeah. Once you start getting around that, that understanding that you learn to maintain your enthusiasm because you know that no one else can see that these small wins are happening. You meet someone that night that, you know, puts you in touch with a Dario or you meet someone who buys your, you know, your, your photograph for a thousand dollars and you're like, holy shit. Cause the first time you sell something around your idea is when you get hooked. So you got to get hooked first. That, that's the first goal. Don't try to sell a million. Don't try to get 10,000 likes. Try to get your practice down that, and, and learn how to maintain enthusiasm even if you fail. That's like one and two. And then number three, I would say, one of the things that I see that most artists and, you know, that, that struggle with is that they don't like to write down how much things cost. Mm. I think... Mm. The creative process is so, so beautiful, but they, people don't understand that making money is also creative. It can be just as fulfilling as your main practice. So learning how to manage your studio or your brand or your house or your business, it's the same, it's the same thing. It's semantical, really. Learning how to manage that, not only from a place of practice, but also from a place of creativity, like, okay, my, doing my numbers is part of the creative process. This is actually not something that's distracting me from my process. This is a part of the process. I think when you don't have those 10,000 hours, you're naive. And you think that talking about money or talking about management or talking about you know, creating products or creating revenue lines and all these small little nuances, organization, you look at it at, as, as some type of thing distracting you from the process. So I think once you get past that, like, no, no, that's part of the process. Like, because actually sometimes going slower is actually better for the practice. And constraints, I'll add a fourth thing, Dario, here. Go for it. Constraints is actually a beautiful thing. You know an artist who has really found their voice or their stroke or their, you know, that piano key, or a producer making music, or design. You, when they get that genesis quoi, when they when they get that thing, that is their thing. It only comes from constraints. A few people are lucky enough to come out the gate and be like, okay, here's the next Mona Lisa, or 
No, the next Nike. If you listen to any entrepreneur story, you go from you know, Steve Jobs to, you know, any artist that you know, you know the story. Crazy, you, we all know this. It's always a constraint. It's always like, no, I, I ended up here because I couldn't get that. And that turned out being the thing. Are you on four or five? That's four. Okay, I actually have a fifth one. All right, so I, that, that, that came out of you saying that. I think the fifth one for us is also the value of the iteration, right? So basically, it, iteration is just a fancier way of saying like, I fucked up, I failed, but now I'm gonna learn from that failure. And again, going back to what Jay said about maintaining the enthusiasm, when you have the enthusiasm, it allows you to also look at the failure like, all right, that didn't work, but what can I pull from this moment that I can put into the, the next try at it? My next go round, what can I pull from this and what can I learn from that moment that I can put into the next opportunity to try this shit again to make it pop. And the more you do that, you realize that that's the, that is the game. The game is this continuous, like in, in Japanese, they call it Kaizen, continuous improvement. The game is continuously improving upon things. The game is not trying to be perfect, but just understanding that this is my best foot forward right now at this moment with the resources that I have, and I'm gonna learn some shit and then keep going. It's, it's the, it's the, um, it's the post-it story, right? The post-its didn't happen because someone's like, oh, I want to invent post-its. It kind of happened by mistake. The person that invented that wasn't trying to invent post-its. It kind of happened as a, as an ancillary mistake. And that mistake became the moneymaker. So sometimes your throwaway poem or your throwaway song, or it's going to, so it, it is, you know, this sounds like all cliche bullshit, but certain cliches have its value. It doesn't become a cliche. Like drink water. Some measure of truth. That's a cliche, but guess what? It works. Certain cliches are work. It doesn't, like Koichi said, nothing, not everything needs to be novel. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. Just try to be good at what you do. And, 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 and not only try to be good, but just try to be as brutally and as, and as honestly yourself at doing whatever that thing is as you can like I, I i recently read something over again and it was a reminder to myself that part of the process of stripping away all the shit that maybe society your family your school maybe some of your peer your friends or whatever have have placed onto you whether through you know uh, traumas or different types of circumstances you're you're wearing a lot of armor you're wearing a lot of baggage and I think part of the creative process also is stripping down to exactly what your core is. Again, this, this sounds kind of cliche, but I find myself, in, and I know Jay and I have had conversations like that, where- 10,000 hours the, of The 10,000 hours of conversations <laughs> where we, we start getting to this point where like, when we first started out, it was like we were trying to throw everything at you. We wanted you to know that we knew. We wanted to be smart and we wanted to be seen as smart. And you get to this part where you're just like, you know, Sometimes just to invite to the fashion show is good enough. Yeah. It, just, it doesn't just always need to be the Yale, like... You get simple with it. You just curriculum. Like, you, you don't have to say, say 10,000 things anymore. You just say one or two, three or four. And I think it does come from maybe a couple wins under your belt, a couple losses. You get comfortable with exactly just who you are at that time and at that moment. You don't feel like you have to put on or project anything more than exactly just who you are. You get real comfortable with that, that inner person that you really like. You get comfortable with showing that to people. 
And I guess the, just quickly, Tario, the sixth thing. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope I hope y'all I hope y'all taking notes. The sixth, <laughs> the sixth thing, like popularity and success are not the same thing. Mm. You know, mm. Mm. you know, you, you can know say that one more time. You know, popularity and success is not the same thing. Not everything that's popular is successful. I think we live in that era where we think that's the truth. That's no, I mean, there's a lot of people who are killing it right now that you probably never heard of. Because not all things are designed for pop culture, you know, and if you stick with it long enough and you make the right moves, eventually it will become part of contemporary culture. Billy Porter. Yep, exactly. A perfect Billy Porter, example. example. Great example. Perfect example. Like I remember shooting Billy for Vanity Fair and I think he just turned 50 or close to it. And he was like, never did I ever imagine mm -hmm. that I would pop at 50. There you go. You, you know, but he's been consistently himself for a very long time. And that it's, it's and you it's can really tell and culture caught up and you can tell culture caught up to you can, where he was. You can tell the man, the, 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 the energy is the balance between masculine and feminine energy in, in, inside Billy. You can tell that he is walking art. He is his own business. He's been, been, been on it. You know what I'm saying? Been so th that's a great example of like just, just staying with there. And, that, and eventually, if you're looking for popularity and if you're looking for likes, I mean, this shit that we post that I know is not going to get any likes. If I post a picture of me and Quazy on the street, like back in the days, but like, are we really helping our people with that post? I'm like, no, let's post the boring shit because the four or five people who actually can influence a thousand million people that's who we're posting for. We're not posting for people that are in popular culture. We're posting for the people who influence popular culture. And that we knew right away after, after 6,000 hours. Like, why are we trying to be popular? Let's just focus on the people who need our information. Um, and I want to I wanna go back to, you know, what you were talking about, Kwesi, like this idea of failure. And, you know, it's something that I've had to do as well is just reframing failure, right? And knowing that failure is really an opportunity to learn. So there really isn't a failure. And I'm sure many people listening can look back at times over their lives where at the time it felt like a failure and they realized that that was actually the pivot point that put them onto the path that they're on now. And even, you know, even, even in starting this podcast, you know, I had to get rid of my idea of like perfection and like perfectionism and just hop into the shit. And yes, maybe the sound isn't perfect and this isn't perfect and that's not perfect. But at the end of the day, I was like, I just need to hop in because I need to learn. I need to see what it is and I'm not afraid to fail, whatever that means, right? Whatever the fuck, you know, failure means. Um, and so this is actually just a practice for me as well. But the idea, the idea, was so strong in my head that, to be honest, I was tired of thinking it. Like, I was tired of thinking, and I just had to get to doing. Um, and then also knowing and, and, and kind of speaking about, um, you know, Kirby and I and what we do at Pierre Moss, when you realize that what you're doing actually doesn't even have anything to do with you, it's actually not about you, so why would you, how selfish, how selfish of me to not have a conversation like this and let other people hear because I didn't get like the shotgun mic, right. you know, like right. it's so fucking stupid. Where we have, you know, myself and Jay, we've, we've had a lot of, as he said, these 10,000 hours of conversations 
where we talk about a lot of these 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 kind of topics. And one of the things that that as of late we actually were talking about, and it came from something that I posted, but it just it tied back into something that we had spoken about many many times, which is this this innate fear of being criticized or or this innate fear of looking stupid, right? And if you if most things in life it, they 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 start at the 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 core of some like emotional place in your in your in your being in your psyche where it's stopping you from doing what you know you're supposed to do. So you if you keep asking yourself why, you know, like we were talking about this why question, if you keep asking yourself why you're not doing something enough and if you're honest enough with yourself, you can get to that core. So like you, I in my past, I, I considered myself very much a perfectionist. I was, I was just a naturally detail-oriented person. And in working with people, you start to see how your idiosyncrasies differ from others. So, you know, Jay, when we would write things together or we would talk about ideas, you know, I would love to like really, really drill down on the idea more so than Jay where he would just be like, just get it out. Let's just make sure that the shit reaches somebody or that someone can see it. And I'm like, oh, it's not ready yet. You know, I, I would try to get in my craftsman's mode. And over time, I have learned to just be like, you know what, fuck it. Who gives a shit? Let me just put this shit out. It, it's not the perfect string together of words or it's not the, the right word or maybe it just, it, it's not making perfect sense. But if someone feels this shit, if it, if, if someone is able to read this and and get some kind of emotional response and it did its job, right? So I think over time I have also learned and I've gone on this journey of looking at these moments and questioning why I'm doing something and realizing that the whole point is to just share what you are feeling in the most honest and real way and just put it out there. You can't wait for someone's acknowledgement to to ordain yourself what you say you already are. So simply put, if you're a painter, just start painting. If you're if you want to be a writer, just start writing. Like you become the thing through the act of doing it, right? That's that's one thing that I want to say. The second thing I want to say has to do with getting to this point where and we 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 were talking about this recently about where you feel like you're you're an imposter, the imposter syndrome, which I think is what you were talking about. Like, I, we were talking about it earlier too, where, you know, and I say having having authority and being an authority are two different things, right? And I think this this there's this idea that maybe this this goal of becoming this famous painter or writer or whatever kind of modality you you endeavor to be, that you have to you have to go to you know this school and 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 work for this kind of company and someone's going to like crown you as being that thing and what's 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 funny is i read a long time ago that a lot of times and there's there's something good about this process but a lot of times you look to the people that you feel are already that and you copy them right there's some kind of you know copying involved in the process and through your, your attempt at copying, you'll never be able to perfectly copy them. So through that attempt at trying to copying and fail, which goes back to the failure part, you find your own voice. You find your unique perspective or way of attacking that thing. And in doing so, you then take it in a different direction. It's not, it's not 100% novel or new because obviously it came before, but your attempt at recreating it created something new 
And then now you can take that thing and take it a step forward. And then in the process, you become mm -hmm. your authority on this thing. Yeah. You become, that's, that's your space. That's the, the, the lane that you now own. It's, spiritually speaking, we don't own any of it. And that's where you can, you can, you can remove your ego from the practice. Cause the ego is the ego. It's funny. Like, it's like, you know, in a, you know, let's say like a three legged race, right? The first, the first leg, it's all egocentric. It's yourself figuring out your voice. Then the second, the second leg is, you know, someone else's ego. Like, what do they care about? And then the third leg is like, well, it's, it's neither. It's, I'm just a medium. So no one really owns that creative spirit, but you, but you are entitled to own a part of it, to make money, to help reinvigorate the process. You see what I'm saying? So it's not like you have ownership. You're just, you're, you're basically in a, tr you're, you're, you're in negotiation with the universe saying, okay, I'm willing to share this gift that you gave me. And in return, I can make money doing this too. keep doing this because I'm about creating this dynamic between the universe and myself as a medium to help other people be inspired to do the same. Cause that's really what we're, that's really what this entire existence in, in my belief is, um, is that we are here to express our interpretation of the universe that will inspire someone else to continue that process. So if you, you know, again, you only get to that spiritual eye, not because you read a Bible or the Quran or, you know, or you're doing yoga, you know, downtown somewhere. No, you, you get there because you failed. And, mm. and there's times where you have nothing and no one cares. And you're like, this voice in your body says, you know, keep going, you know, it's something. And then, or, and, or you meet a bunch of assholes who just like you're whack or they talk shit or, and then you realize after 10,000 hours that that person's probably just nervous or you make them uncomfortable. And this is just their way of talking through their nervousness through hate, you know? So you start getting, you start, you start seeing these patterns and then you get to this, this humility, which is spiritual part where it's like, okay, I'm going to take my logic as far as I can in terms of practice. I'm going to learn all the rules, but when you start breaking them like an artist, like the famous cliche, that's virtual. And anyone, again, I challenge anyone to challenge me on this. If you spent enough time doing this thing that we call life, you don't have to look for spirituality. It finds you. And when spirituality finds you, that's when you get really good. You'll be like, okay, now this is not about justice. Even making money now for us and helping our clients make money, it's not about just, if we wanted to get into commodities, we could, we could went into pharmaceuticals and did this shit, you know? You know, it's not about making $10 billion. It's about not having to deal with an asshole all day and doing projects that help our culture and help really, when we say our culture, it's just the narrative of freedom to be whoever you are as a human being. That's the step we have to finally get to. We're still dealing with these dynamics between race and ethnicity and gender and sexuality, but really that's still slowing us down. We, we gotta get to a point where it's just expression like express because if a human being doesn't express creatively they will express negatively and that's the problem right because like hitler hitler wanted to go if hitler got into art school maybe we never had it we never had yeah hitler. yeah yeah he wanted to be an artist he wanted to be a painter yeah some people say hitler was queer and he because he couldn't express his sexuality in the right way it it got expressed you know so this is not a kumbaya statement this is not like 
oh, whatever. No, this is like a revolution. We know that 100 years of industrialization created a lot of the things that are not good. So we know we need another way. Somewhere in between, maybe, I don't know, but like we're, we're sloppily tripping into the, into, we're walking backwards into the future. You know, feeling our way around. You know what I mean? And it's better if you, 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 you hold hands with everyone so everyone can feel their way together. But, you know, you, the journey for a while is lonely. And, and that's the spiritual part. Talk to me a bit about your spiritual practice. Um, you know, what's your morning routine like? Um, and then maybe secondarily, how did the spirit find you? Um, you know, I guess, you know, we all have this voice in our head. You know, I posted something and it was someone posted something about how many of us, it was an article I read that about inner dialogue. How many people have an inner dialogue? And I was surprised that some people don't have an inner dialogue. I was like, wow, that's scary. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Some people have some bad inner dialogues. A lot of it is negative. So you got negative stuff in your head and you got positive stuff in your head. And a lot of that negative stuff is conditioning and it's triggered by the environment. So I'll, I'll put a pause on that. My spiritual practice is in the morning is to get that shit out of my head. So it's like listening to techno or listening to reggae. It's, it's making a pot, putting a pot of tea on. I don't care what the hell is happening. I'm putting a pot of tea on, you know, and for me, because I'm South American, it's a way to connect back to my ancestors. I'm going to put some bush, some like soursop leaves in the pot and I'm going to post it. So people can say, Hey, I'm going to put hibiscus in a pot and I'm going to pour it and I'm going to drink it. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to meditate. I'm going to close my eyes and sit there by myself for 10 minutes. I'm going to do my yoga stretches. And then I'm going to think about what I'm going to wear. Cause to me, how I present myself, you know, us being, you know, aesthetically oriented people, I think it's important. Like, you know, it comes to me like, okay, I'm going to wear that today. My spiritual practice is getting to a point where I'm so charged up. And I, when I say charged up, it's not actually like having energy because some days you'll have bad days. It's really to the point where I know the voice in my head is not me. That's really where I'm getting to because I know the self-doubt and I'm going to walk my way through the self-doubt and see my day. And if there's nothing happening in my day, I'm going to create my day. And we live in a beautiful time that we can express ourselves. You know, we have these devices that allow and us we, to connect. And a lot of things that the tools to expression is not, it's not as, as expensive as it was maybe even 20 years ago. Even, even 15 years ago, what we started when, when we all knew each other, to do what we do right now, it's, I could do it on the toilet. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Facts, though. You know, Facts. I can have a Actually, conference call we, on my toilet. Most of us have. Yeah, yeah we have. Yeah. I mean, let's just keep it real. So Put it on mute. Yeah, like, put it on mute. <laughs> like, let me do that while I'm doing this. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. so I, think, I think my spiritual practice also is to have a good BM in the morning before I leave. I, yeah. think, I think the ancient Egyptians said that health starts with the small intestines. I think what we put in our bodies are, is very important in, in how we, you know, I know we have our cultures that we come from that have habits, but as we are evolving as a community, we need to share each other's hacks. You know, some of it are physical hacks, some of it are mental hacks, some of it are emotional hacks. So I think really my practice in the morning is getting that clarity. You know, sometimes I may leave and I don't feel, I still feel a little anxious, but I know I had my soursop tea, which is great for nerves. You know, I know I had my 10 minutes of, you know, coyote breeding. 
you know, which is like inhaling and exhaling, like inhaling and exhaling through the mouth and going, ah, ah, and doing that for five minutes. Because if I could commit to myself for five minutes, then I'm showing the universe I'm ready to, to receive a blessing. Because if I can't commit to myself for five minutes, why would anybody commit to me for 20 minutes? If I can't take care of myself, then your whole day is just anxious. And anxiousness is not our culture. That's something that we inherited through this system. Mm. Anxiety is the opposite of what we, we are naturalistic people. We listen to rhythms, listen to vibes, listen to drums, listen to, you know, to the wind. And for those of us that live in urbane environments, we need to create that pseudo thing within our, in our living abodes where it's there. And if some of us who can't afford to be there yet, work like hell to be in an environment where you can feel still, because that to me is more important than making money because money comes as a derivative of being still. You know what I'm saying? I don't think you make money because you'll make money, but you won't be wealthy. You'll spend money anxiously. You, you, won't, you, won't, you will make the wrong moves because you're not in that place of security with yourself. So that to me is, you know, simple physical hacks. We are not just spiritual beings. We're spiritual beings in a physical existence. Having that's and the communication between the physical and the spiritual is emotional, you know. So those emotions are both negative and positive, and you have to realize that negative emotions. And I'm not talking about anger. Anger is not a bad thing. Sadness is not a bad thing. I'm talking about you're not good enough. No one cares. You know, I you know jealousy, I'm, jealousy, envy. envy yeah. You know, sycophancy. I you know I got to be pretending rich is not the same thing as being rich. And being wealthy is holistically wealthy. Income and wealth are two different things. So if you really want to be healthy, you cannot avoid the spiritual practices in the morning. So that's my spiritual And Quasi, I'll let you talk about your spiritual practice in the morning. Yeah. Um, this is an interesting question because I feel, you know, part of what makes me me are these kind of practices, these kind of morning routines and, and evening routines. Like I'm a very regimented kind of person. Um, I can tell. Yeah, I, I'm very much, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I think, I, I, I think you will find, I'm an action oriented person. I like to just get things done. So I think you will find if you meet people who are like that, they have a very systematic approach to getting to the space where they can get shit done. So I'm always thinking about what kind of space do I need to be in so that I can get shit done? And, and, and in order to do that, I have to have some kind of spiritual balance in the morning. Like the day has to start in a certain way in order for me to be effective and get shit done. So because of that, there are certain things that need to happen. One, when I wake up, if I look at my phone first or answer messages first, I already know the whole day is off from there. So the first thing I'm trying to do is stay away from that and just kind of get into my space. So I get up, walk around, open the shades. You know, back in the day, I actually used to just sleep with the shades open because I wanted natural light to wake me up normally. But now I sleep with the shades lower because, you know, I like to get a solid night of sleep. And um, I open the shades and just kind of get in the, the, the natural light, whatever it be. If it's a gray daylight today or a sunny day, just light has to come in. That immediately starts to make me feel good. From that point, I make my bed. 
a long time ago, I remember reading, I think it was uh, some, some general um, who was a commander of like special forces, Navy SEALs. He said, you know, if you can start your day by getting one thing accomplished right away, you're already building momentum to get other things accomplished. So the first thing I like to get accomplished is to make my bed. It also helps me get physical because there's a, there's a physicality to like folding and, and leaning over and stretching and putting your pillow here and that kind of thing. So this, that's the second thing that I do. The third thing that I do is drink water right away. And about 12 years ago, no, 13 years ago at this point, it was actually Jay's mother, who's a very wise woman, very, very much into naturopathy and is knowledgeable on all things health. She, and she's, she's one of those people that gives you wisdom, but in an almost passive way that doesn't feel, it doesn't trigger defensiveness. So it doesn't feel like nagging. It doesn't feel like she is force feeding you. She just opens your eyes to something new. And she told me about lemon and water. So ever since then, I started putting lemon in my water in the morning. And that arguably has changed my life because it immediately started to, to, to jumpstart my digestive system, which then triggered my energy levels. Because immediately, as Jay said, like, if you have like a healthy BM in the morning, like you just feel lighter physically for the rest of the day. So that was something that immediately I would, I would drink water. The second thing I do as I'm drinking the water is I have a multitude of supplements that my mother gives me. She sends me care packages all the time with CoQ10, ubiquinol, you know, cod, cod liver oil tablets, uh, you name it, like bilberry, lutein, like <laughs> just like chlor chlorophyll tablets, like all. You keep going, keep probably going. Probably about 15, <laughs> 15 different supplements from, 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 like I said, cod liver all the way out to like chlorophyll tablets. And I take that as I'm drinking the water. That's, that's how I get going. The next thing I do, I go into my bathroom and the bathroom is, it serves multiple purposes for me. One to help me get ready. But before any of that, it is actually my, my closed sacred space to meditate and be with myself. So I usually go in there, turn the lights off completely pitch black. And I sit on the edge of my bathtub and I usually meditate minimum for 20 minutes. Sometimes I'll go to 30 minutes, 40 minutes, depending on how, how into the, 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 the meditation that I am. Like I, it's more of a feeling. I know when I'm truly, truly connected to something and I'm no longer thinking manic or, or, or uh, monkey brain kind of thoughts. I'm just exploring the space. And I literally mean exploring the space in that when, when I've reached that state where I, I, I no longer feel uh, 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 weighted down by my thoughts. I feel as though I'm flying in space. Like I literally, that's what I'm seeing now. And during this time, before I get there, I'm doing certain things. So one of the things that I do before I even get into the meditation is I get into a, a, a very physical state, a physical state that forces me to focus on my breath. So it might be, I might do like 50 push-ups, or I might do 50 jumping jacks, or I might do like 50 arm raises, something, anything that gets me to a point of complete tension and physicality where I have no choice but to lock into my breath. I can't think of anything else because I'm just 
so physically taxed that I have to focus in that way. And then that becomes the momentum for the breathing. And then I get into different breathing techniques. So one I might do is the fire breath where it's diaphragmatic breathing and you know it's focused on just breathing into your nose and then just out through your nose, into your nose, out through your nose, but more so focusing on breath coming into your stomach and contracting and, and, and collapsing. After that, you know, then I just let my body get really, really relaxed. Like I focus on every single muscle in my body dissolving, just completely getting to a place where, and I think about this in my mind, where if I'm made up of the same thing that stars are made up of, of that planets are made of, that the earth is made up of, then I'm, there's no separation between me and it. And, and to think about that to the point where I, I don't feel like I'm a physical body anymore. I don't want to think of myself that way. I just want to think of myself as existing in, in the universe as part of it. And at that point, you know, I started, and this is recently, but I, I wanted to make a habit of, of starting the thoughts with something that I'm grateful for, at least three or four things. Usually it's like 10 that comes up, but I'm like minimum, I have to emotionally feel a sense of gratitude for certain things. And in doing so, I've had moments in my meditation where, you know, I get very emotional. I start crying or I start smiling or, or you know, I, I just feel like a point of elation. When I have that in my meditation, I already know it's going to be a great day. Like that is the point where like everything that happens after, and it doesn't even matter, even as, as bad as death, sure. if I have that moment, I go into all those other things with pure joy. Like literally I went to a, a, a funeral at one point and actually, you know, I could say it was, it was a, you know, it was a close friend's funeral and it was his father. And I had one of those kind of meditations before I went. And it's the first time I had ever walked into a funeral smiling in my entire life. I literally, I, that was the only thing that I could give in that moment because that's what I truly felt. And I felt like this is the thing that I'm, I'm supposed to give. I should be giving the people here joy because they probably can't feel it for themselves right now. And I was like, the last thing I want to do is, is give fear or any kind of morbid energy because it probably already is here. doesn't need any more of that. So my morning after that, the next thing that I do, I usually, I will check, you know, messages because at that point, you know, maybe in half an hour, 45 minutes to an hour has gone by. And it's, it's probably me, usually me like, hey, where the hell are you at? Bro? Yeah, <laughs> usually, usually it'll be like, it'll be like right after I'm done, Jay will be calling or like, yeah, you know, Winston will money. be calling. Yeah, Somebody yeah. will be calling because it's, you know, there's money, something's going on where, okay, I got to think about that. It's, it's balanced, it's yin and yang. Yin and yang. While that's happening or if that happens, usually that's when I start doing, you know, like the, 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 vanity stuff where you know you wash your face you're putting on you know whatever kind of lotion make sure you moisturize all that and i might put on a podcast or something running in the background where i, I can be educating myself while i'm doing mundane things so i'll have either a, an audible book playing or a podcast and in between that i'm going into the kitchen and i'm making a smoothie now or something healthy that's going to start out my day and that's how i get into it um, I did want to ask one more question about relationships um, and the role relationships. How, how do you how do you, how do you all navigate relationships? I mean, like you have you know 
a, a business life, right, where you are, I mean, Jay is up yeah. trying to get that worm, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you also have this crazy social life, like at night that can go to, you know, three, four o'clock yeah, yeah. in the morning. So how do you think about relationships and or navigate relationships? I hate the word dating. The meta narratives around dating is just toxic. I think you should be around people who you who who inspire you and who are your best friends first, whether platonic or romantic. Like you shouldn't really be, and, and if it's just sex, then call it just sex. And it, you know, that should be two mature people who just need to vent sexually. But when it comes to a relationship, I'm 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 strongly leaning against this someone. If you're gonna, if you feel like you're in that time or in that zone, date someone who's your friend. I, you know, people usually say, oh, you shouldn't date your friend or shouldn't date within your, your field of view or where you work. I don't believe, I, I, I think you should work with someone. You should be with someone who understands your work and your goals and your life. You shouldn't necessarily have to have the same work in life, but time is so precious to me, especially after like this last seven, eight months where I lost four people close to me, both my grandmothers, my, my, my partner's father and my own father, the theaters of life feel like we don't have enough time to, to do that and do this and do that and then feel like you're going to be balanced. I think you need someone who's a best friend, who's a, who understands, who you kind of inspire me. Because when, when I'm in a good romantic zone, we're both cooking together, we're both shifting ideas, we're both, like, my practice informs their practice and their practice informs my practice. I think you have to do that. So I've been fortunate enough to have very toxic relationships and very, very blissful relationships i've had beautiful romantic like one-nighters and i've had you know relationships that have been rolling for eight nine years you know where it's just and then, and then i've had beautiful flirts i think it's i think as people who work in 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 in, in creative entrepreneur uh, creativepreneur you know corporation whatever we do in our work if you're devoid of sexuality it makes life just worse. Like, so you, I just, I don't think, I can't operate or, without sexuality. I think sexuality, I don't mean like sexual preference. I mean, romance, like love, sex, lust. Those things also inform what we do. So I think the way I balance is I don't try to balance it. I'm like, okay, this is what I'm doing. This is how I do it. And if you enjoy the rodeo, well, let's, let's go, but I'm not going to leave the rodeo to try to like create a, 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 a narrative of codependency where I'm constantly feeling like I need to support your, your, uh, uh, need and then feel bad for not being there and, and vice versa where you're mad at because I'm not there or I'm feeling bad about my practice. I, so I, I don't think people particularly in what we all do and this era of life, you need to have someone that's at the rodeo with you. You know what I'm saying? You need someone who's, who's going to down and go to the party and chop it up. Someone that's going to like bring you that, that lemon water in the morning. Someone that's going to be like, no, I get it. Like you need your personal space. I, I need my personal space. Like you can't have, it's two different worlds. Like I, the, the old society where it was like, you can't date pedestrians. And I don't want to be condescend, condescending or classes. But I mean, you, you, and you know, also the other ones, you, you, you can't date out your class. That's another condescending way of saying it. I'm not saying those two things. What I'm saying is 
date someone who also has something going on for themselves that's bigger than them, you know, so that at least you can inspire each other. Now, there's the politic around money, who's going to pay for dinner, who pay for cabs, fuck all that. Like, you're going to make money if you're with two people where you're, if you're going to spend 18 hours a day together, you know, it's going to be sex, love, creativity, connecting, thoughts, criticism. It's going to be rich, raw, full, full of vibrance. And a year of that will be so fulfilling that it's, you know, you're going to, you're going to be the movie that everyone watches and, and wants to aspire to versus the other people who are on the internet. I'm not saying people on the internet are completely shit, but who's showing these money, you know, when something's mundane, well, sorry, it is shit. People who you just know when it's cliche mundane, cause I'm so romantic. I don't have time to post the shit. I'm in, yeah, I'm yeah, in yeah, the movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm in the movie. Like Valentine's day should be every day. It shouldn't be the 14th of February. Like I'm not saying that we should completely, I'm not an anarchist or against, you know, these tropes, but if you want to be at the tip of your game, you will need to be with someone romantically um, who gets that and vice versa. And of course, it's the same. I won't bore the details about platonic, but that's even more strict. Like if, if you're around people who are not on their game, then they're a distraction. And there's no negotiation with that. I'm, I'm not gonna even, there's no words to extend on that. Koizy, I'll, I'll let you close this off. Uh, <laughs> this, 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 this is a good question for many reasons because you know, relationships sits at the center of all of it, right? That's like, I, I feel, I, I firmly believe now we are here to, and, and, and we are here, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a very uh, holistic way of saying is like, we are here to build and to grow relationships in, in all different facets of life, in many different ways. From a professional standpoint, I think, you know, personally, you know, I'm, I'm just a big, like, I'm a big, big proponent of like trust and like, like loyalty and that those kind of like uh, 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 principles. So when it comes to, you know, professionally doing business now, and we've learned like, as, as Jay mentioned a while back, like we've been burned before, like we've had the best and the highest of hopes going into certain relationships and we've had the worst fucking disaster mm -hmm. kind of relationship you could possibly have with people that that sold us the dream so there's a there's a measure of scrutiny now that goes into who we do business with and how we do business with them i think now it's a much more holistic approach to that i think in order to really do business with people like they almost have to be like our friends, like a part of our collective that we have to have shared principles and values. We have to hang out with you. We got to see you drunk. We got to <laughs> see your sexual proclivities, like yeah. what you're into, like how you deal with women, how you deal with men, men with money, women with money, like the whole nine. We got to get a really, really well-rounded picture of who the fuck you are before we put anything on a dotted line. That's like where we are now. It's not about contracts because at the end of the day, people could still sign their contract or sign their name to a contract and fuck you. They can fuck you royally, even though they, we agreed on this, you know, this, this very formal set of paperwork here. Doesn't matter. What matters is your energy, your spirit, like 
your enthusiasm for life, your, 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 the way you treat your family, you know, like just these holistic things that make you want to fuck with an individual on any level. That's a big part of what goes into the, 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 the relationships that we keep in business now. It's like genuinely, do I like this person? Do I admire them? Are they good people? Do other people say that they're good people? These are the kind of questions now that we're dealing with. That's on the professional side. Now on the personal side, I have spent a very long time without doing a full-scale, all-in, committed relationship because, number one, I felt like I needed to do a lot, a lot of work. You know, I, a long time ago, I had a, a, a very long relationship, very deep relationship for seven years. I was dating someone, and it ended. And I learned a lot in that relationship. I learned a lot about what I was and what I wasn't and what I needed to be in order to really have something that, that was transformative and, and that, that, that would really not necessarily bring me peace because I feel like as an individual, you should be able to bring yourself peace and give yourself a, a, a state of being that is, that is of happiness. But get to the place where I, I felt in harmony with another individual. And, and it's not easy, you know, it, it, as Jay was saying, and I think you could attest to this, when you, you're as dynamic as we are, and this is not like puffing myself up, but we just genuinely are those kind of people. We know a lot of different cultures. We move in a lot of different spaces. We speak a lot of different languages, not necessarily like in some, in, in terms of English and Spanish and that kind of thing, but like languages of different cultures. Like we know language of finance, we know language of fashion, we know language of fine arts. So when you're, when you're that multiplex and, and polymathical in your, the way you approach life, it's very difficult to find other people who can slide into those different grooves and different aspects of, 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 humanity in such a seamless fashion it's about amplification yeah, yeah. so so i think i think i i just felt like i needed to get to a place where you know number one i actually went to school on love like to literally learn about the 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 elements the building blocks of a successful relationship or at least what i believe to be a successful relationship and 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 think about those things and what they meant for me and what i really felt i needed so I, I feel like I'm finally at a place now where the things that I learned intellectually over the last, let's say, decade have now seeped into my cells physically, where I am, I am feeling those things. I am at peace in those moments where intellectually I knew I was supposed to be at peace, but I wasn't, where it was something that was cool or something that was smart to say to someone that you know, like, oh, this is the, these are the tenets of a healthy relationship. I would read them and maybe two or three would make sense, but if it was a list of 10, it was only two or three. Now I'm at a place where I genuinely feel like, oh yeah, all 10 of these motherfuckers or maybe like nine are like really in my soul now. Like that's what I feel. So the last year, actually one of my, my goals for this year was to, to genuinely, you know, genuinely find a relationship where, where I could, I could put those things into practice and, and, and have something that's truly deep with someone. And I'm, I'm now open in a way that I haven't been in, a, in, in probably the last 10 years. And I, I, I feel that, um, my, 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 my time on, on this earth is to get to a place where I can fully, without resistance, express love 
and fully without resistance receive it. And this year, I think I'm, I'm, I'm open more than I ever was to embark on that journey. Um, in terms of like specifics and mechanics, one thing that I am now looking for, or a couple of things that I'm looking for, listen up from from a, <laughs> from, from a relationship standpoint that I think is universal. I think is universal. I think we could all t attest to this that will kind of solve most of those issues when it comes to you know two individual idiosyncratic people coming together. Is like you're gonna have disagreements, so you gotta make sure that you can negotiate those disagreements with grace and respect at the very least. If you can master that domain of like, I don't like this, I don't like this, but we can like figure it out. You got 80% of it figured out. Like 80% of your dynamic with that person is going to be sorted. The other thing is that you have to accept. And, and this, this is a hard thing. Again, when you're a perfectionist, you're seeing everything. When you're detail oriented, you're seeing everything, but you have to expect and know that when you meet someone, there's going to be at least two, maybe more, two or three things that are absolutely insane about that person that they are logically not going to be able to explain to you. They will not be able to explain why it's crazy, but it's just, it's just crazy. It's batshit crazy. So whatever those two, three, two or three things are, once you figure them out, you will just have to know that those are things you're not going to change about that person and you will just have to accept and that's it. If they are deal breakers, you got to be out immediately. Yeah. Because it won't get better. It'll yeah, get yeah. worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, D. I and mean, that's it. That's it. Okay. Okay, hold on. So as we wrap up, I mean, this was amazing. First of all, I want to acknowledge both of you guys Thank for... You. Thank First, you for just trekking up to the Boogie Down Bronx oh. um, on a, in a chilly yet artistic and lovely studio. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful um, here. So I appreciate that. And it was also just beautiful to, to like get even deeper into just the relationship that we already have. It's 10 years coming, bro. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> it's and for sharing all right this here. amazing knowledge. <laughs> um, you know, so I really want to appreciate that. And, and also acknowledge your commitment to sharing that knowledge and and like you said consistently putting it out every day through personal tragedies through you know personal discovery like you are you have been constantly hitting that nail over and over and over and over again so I really appreciate that um but could you also let people know where they can find you connect with you you know, your your website, social media. Um, our company is My Uber Life. It's M as in Mary, Wise and Yankee, like Uber like the car, and life as in life.com. Um, the best way probably is to, on Instagram and social, just because that's, that's where we are. So um, J of My Uber Life is J-E-Y, an O-F of My Uber Life. And Kwasi is K-W-A-S-I of My Uber Life um, on Instagram. And also our company Instagram is My Uber Life. Um, at my Uber life. Um, but again, I would say to anyone listening to the podcast, you know, please reach out and connect. We have so many things that we, you know, we, we care um, and we're open. So please send us an email at info at my And if you see us around, you know, just say hello. And, you know, we're always open to, uh, to share and break bread. There'll be the cool dudes in all black. Oh, yes. Um, and then I have one last question for you guys. Mm -hmm. So what do you imagine for the future oh 
Um, Not like your personal future, but like what's the future societal? you're imagining? Um, I'm yeah. well. I'm definitely gonna see that there's gonna be. We're going to get to a point, and it's not dystopian outlook. This is more of a, an, uh, an optimistic outlook. We're going to get to the point where we're going to get past, and I, I know people think the post-race, post-gender, post-stuff is kind of taboo to say, but there's going to be some other thing that we're going to use to qualify. Hopefully, we get to a meritocracy where you be valued and judged by um, your merits and what you contribute to society, but it won't be like a socialist version. It will be still like tend to your own grass, commercial intent so i feel like the future is going to be people with small businesses or small artistic practices or, or, and, and platforms that are economically viable because i do believe in ownership is great for for self-esteem and self-identity and i think um particularly people of color and people who have been disenfranchised quote you know uh, hence the word disenfranchised i think we need to own our own franchises and i think the future is going to be right now we're in a rocky spot in society, but I think we're unearthing a lot of this trauma and a lot of these, these, this muck. But I think the future is going to be people who own their own thing, right? Whether they, and they're going to be able to collaborate with other people. And that thing is going to create a nice, healthier community of ownership. Um, I think the future is going to be based on that. I think we're going to be, we're going to get past this, judging people based upon these superficial things. And we're going to get down like, okay, that's what Dario's about. That's what Quasi's about. That's what Jay's about. And I either fuck with it or I don't. So I think it's going to be more merit-based. We're not there yet. I think human beings will always have something that they're going to be, because we're visual creatures to kind of judge people on the first instinct. But because now we're training ourselves or at least conscious that know that that's not a good thing, you know, to say the n-word or make someone's sexuality or make fun of someone's physical features or whatever we're starting to get past that i think the next big frontier will be okay so now we're past that what is what is your merit what do you bring to the community what do you add to the culture beyond just entertainment per se or or or, or sports and i think it's going to be a nice time for people of color people who have been disenfranchised to have to participate in contemporary culture beyond sports and entertainment. I believe that will be the future. And I'm looking forward to that because I think we have so much to contribute to society beyond just these established tropes and cliches. And I think because we're like now, you know, a couple of generations in, we'll have more freedom to express ourselves in different ways. We'll open up an entire new reality on this planet. Yes, 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 yes. This is a very good question because I think when we, no, let me not say we, when futurism is discussed often, whether you see it in TV programs and movies, it's overly dependent on technology. It's always technology first. Like, okay, you know, we're going to be in outer space. We're going to have, you know, ways to harness the, the power of a star, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What I think is, is really, really important and critical as we move forward into the future is what will be the advancements in our ability to articulate the complexities of our emotions and the complexities of, of how we feel and how what we feel impacts our environment. So I think two of the things that, that myself and Jay were actually talking about not too long ago was defining 
the 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 advanced human being is someone who is able to double down on their ability to emote or emoting and double down on their ability to empathize. I think when you start to look at life in those two dimensions, like your ability to truly express your feelings and the articulation of your emotions in the, in the most raw and real way, as well as your ability to empathize and walk in the shoes of someone else fully emotionally put yourself from their point of view and see the world from their lens the impact of that, the, 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 the result of that has exponential value from business to your personal life to just every aspect that you could possibly think of. And then when you think from that lens or you think from those two dimensions, then the idea of technology starts to make more sense. Because let's say if you're emoting and you're able to articulate the emotions and the nuances of your individual point of view, um, and you want to create, let's say, a pair of pants. Now maybe 3D technology will allow you to, to, do, to do just that without having any of the barriers, the traditional barriers to entry from like manufacturing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and when it comes to empathy, your ability to, to see things from someone else's point of view will be able to take you in a, will be able to allow you to take your emotions or whatever it is that you create and now place it in a way that becomes valuable or, or relevant in the eyes of someone else, which then fosters more connection, which is something we're greatly in need of. People who don't think and feel the same way, connecting more. I think we just need more, we're gonna need more people who are able to frame things properly, to provide context, to tell stories, to provide, unifying emotions and ideas that allow differing people from different places, from different points of views to connect. And, and, and I just want to add yeah. quickly to that, um, the, and it's not just a kumbaya statement. It's, it's actually economic. It's an economic reality. It's going to make the economy more viable that we connect. So Kwesi just put it so beautifully that it's not just something to do because you're a nice person or you're like, you're, you know, it's, it's just smart to be not a piece of shit. You know, it's smart to have empathy and it's smart to emote and express. And I think that will make our future more economically viable because you can see now a lot of places are closing and a lot of things are going away because, uh, they're out of touch and I'll leave it on that. So let's get in touch. Ah, amazing. Thank you guys again so much. Have a beautiful evening. Thank you guys for listening. I'll put um, some of the information in the show notes, especially Quasi's morning supplement routine. Chlorophyll. There's like 17 things I couldn't a, pronounce. But I appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening. Please go check them out on Instagram. It will change your life on the daily. And uh, have a good one. We'll talk soon. Keep imagining. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this super informative episode with my friends, the uber-talented Javon Sharp and Kwesi Jossi. Oh my god, see what I did there? <laughs> Send this episode to one friend you think would benefit from this conversation to let them know that you're invested in their growth. And as always, 
be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, which really helps out. Shout us out over on Instagram at Black Imagination Podcast. And guess what? We have a Twitter account now at Black Imagination. That's B L K Imagination. Twitter only allows for 15 characters, and that A was just too much. Tweet some of your favorite quotes, and let's continue the conversation over there with the hashtag ProcessingThePod. And if you're able to drop a few bills to support this work, please click the support link in the show notes. Creativity times organization equals impact. I love that. Let's get creative. Let's get organized. And let's make an impact on the world together. Black imagination is liberation. Stay curious and keep dreaming.